You are listening to the Bethel Church Sermon Podcast, a ministry of Bethel Church in Yale, South Dakota. Well, if you take your Bible with me and turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, maybe. Uh, I'm going to start reading uh, in verse 20. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bore witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom he put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we pray that as we look at the subject of law and the purpose of it, Lord, we pray that you would guide us, help us to understand. Lord, we pray that we would be people who have a great love, like the psalmist, for the, the law, that we would see value, that we wouldn't um, put over, that we wouldn't overemphasize uh, it. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see its purpose for your honor, your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've been asking you for uh, questions. If there are questions that you have that you would uh, like to see addressed from the pulpit, uh, this uh, comes from one of those questions. I still uh, want those questions, of course. You can uh, use the Connect card in your bulletin to put that in the offering. You can uh, hand them to me on your way out. You can email me or send them via text, however you would like to do that. But I would, I would like to have the, the questions that you have. I, I like to read them. It is interesting how uh, sometimes a number of people um, have the same or similar questions. In this case, there was a few different questions that were related to the law. And although uh, each question was asked a little bit different and there was a different emphasis, um, it, it really came down to the purpose of the law in the life of the Christian today. It's really a relevant question when you think about it, as I think we're going to see more as we continue. Let me just start by reading some passages of Scripture at the onset uh, that deal with the law. We read at the beginning, Romans 3.20, 
For works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. We'll speak more about this later, but but just for now, I want you to see something here, and that is that Paul, the New Testament, sees the law as relevant. Let's back up. Let's go to the Psalms. Psalm 19, 7 through 11 says this, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of, off the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. It's a powerful passage. Some of us are, are thinking, okay, that's, that's Old Testament though. Um, what about great? You know, you're, you're asking these questions and these are good. We're going to get to them. Uh, Psalm 119 9 through 16. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let not wonder from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statues. I will not forget your word. New Testament, Romans chapter 7. I'll start in verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if I had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet but sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness for apart from the law sin lies dead I was once alive apart from the law but when the commandment came sin came alive and I died the very commandment that promised life proved to be death in me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you all are sons of God through faith. Back to Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So a lot of 
a lot of text in the Bible, and that's just a, a little survey of, of those that, that deal with law, and specifically the, the purpose of, of law in the life of the Christian. So let's just take and define a few things uh, as we draw out the purpose of the law, or to say it differently, let's draw out how the law should relate to our daily lives by uh, starting to define what we mean by even the phrase, the law. When we ask the, the question of the law and how we relate to it, we must understand what we mean by the law. Do we mean the Old Testament law? Do we mean the laws that are in the Old Testament that are repeated in the New Testament? Some would say that if the laws are not repeated in the New Testament, then they're just irrelevant. Is that what we mean, or are we specifically speaking of the, the Ten Commandments only when we talk about the, the law? And if so, what do we do with the other civil and ceremonial laws that are given in the Old Testament? Certainly, there were laws that were given to the nation of Israel that just do not apply today. At least, they don't apply in the same way. Laws regarding temple worship, for instance, or ceremonial cleansing. Laws related to sacrifice. What do we do with these? So when we ask the question of the law and start talking about the relevance of it and our relationship to it today, we need to, to get clear and, and talk about what we mean by that uh, phrase, by that word law. We're talking about every single law that was given. And if that's the case, we know that there are some laws that are universally binding, that is obvious, like the Ten Commandments or what we call the moral law. But there's others, though, that just aren't so simple. Now, I would suggest that when we are making a, a reference to the law of God, it is helpful to put uh, laws in the Old Testament in, in three different categories. We have the, the moral law, we have the civil law, and the ceremonial laws. The, the ceremonial laws, these, are, uh, these dealt with the, the cleansing of a, a house of a leper or uh, Jewish festivals, the duties of a priest, sacrificial laws, these kind of things. Now, these laws expired when they were fulfilled by the, the priestly work of Christ. Christ is our priest, right? You've, you've heard this, the, the threefold office of Christ. He's our prophet, our priest, and our king. As priest, he fulfilled these laws so they have expired. So the, the ceremonial laws, we're not obligated to keep those. The, cer the civil laws, these laws in the Old Testament dealt with things like uh, treating the poor rightly, uh, divorce, rebellious children, how to dress, murder, robbery, uh, Sabbath breaking, uh, these kind of things. Now, these laws, the civil laws, dealt with uh, disputes between people. And these laws expired with the, the demise of the, the Jewish civil government. These laws were specifically given to this nation in order that this nation might govern themselves. So uh, we're not obligated to those laws the same way we are, uh, the nation of Israel was. And, and then you have a third category, and that is the moral law. These uh, laws concern the love of God, idolatry, stealing, lying, sexual sin, false worship, uh, child sacrifices. And these laws uh, never expire because they are based on the character of God. 
Now, it's important at this point that just because we speak of uh, laws expiring, so that the civil law, the ceremonial law, uh, these expired, it doesn't mean that these laws are not relevant. That's not what we're saying. They obviously teach us something about God who put them into place for a reason. They, weren't never, they were never arbitrary. They were never optional. God does what he does for a reason, and we would be... Uh, it would be in poor taste for us to, to say they just do not matter. That's not what we're saying. We're saying uh, that they were fulfilled in Christ or they were given specifically uh, for that nation for a specific reason because they were to govern themselves. So they were put in for a reason. We learn a great deal from them, but we're not obligated to them like we are uh, the moral law. I, I think these three categories are very helpful Often when we think of the law, we are speaking of law in, in generalities, especially when it comes to the New Testament. For instance, uh, here, think about this question. Does the New Testament contain God's law? Or is God's law only from the Old Testament? The New Testament, so does the New Testament contain God's law? The, the answer to that is, is yes. In the New Testament, there are commands. Just take note of the, the situation that Paul describes in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let me just give you a, a little bit of context. Uh, apparently, Paul, when he was going to Macedonia, he urged Timothy to stay in Ephesus. And he tells him to urge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, myths, or genealogies. And the, the purpose of this love that Timothy was supposed to show by his rebuke was uh, loving. These people have wandered into uh, vain discussions that majored in, in speculation. Now in verse 7, he speaks of these and he says, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So understand something here. They're are certain people that were in the church who are confidently asserting things about which they shouldn't because they lack understanding. So is Paul condemning in the New Testament the teaching of the law? No. He is condemning those who are teaching who do not understand it and those who promote false teaching, false doctrine. Now, verse 8, he keeps going. Now we know that the law is good. If one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whoever else is, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with whom I have been entrusted. Now, certainly when Paul uses the word law here, he is making a reference to the moral law, law that is based on the character of God. But notice also that he is using the word law in such a way that it isn't law only limited to the Old Testament. It is not just Old Testament laws that are repeated in the New Testament. He says, whoever else that is, or whatever else is that contrary to sound doctrine or sound teaching. The law then 
becomes whatever God commands. If God commands it, if God says, do this, it is law. So sound instruction or sound teaching is law. The New Testament is full of it. It is full of law. The Old Testament isn't the only place we get commands from God. In fact, every command, every instruction in the New Testament is from God's hand. The Bible, this book, we say it is God's word. It doesn't merely contain God's words. It it is it. Every word is the very breath of God. It is God-breathed. In the Greek, it's theosnustos, God-breathed. Very literal translation. The very breath of God. So when we refer to the law, we are making a reference to anything that God has given us through his word that we are to do. Here's another question. And that is, how is it that these People that Paul is referring to here, how are they teaching the law or using the law wrongly? Well, these here in this text are delving into myths and endless genealogies, he says. They're promoting uh, speculations. Certainly, Timothy knew exactly what was going on here. We see more of this kind of thing and these kind of false teaching in the book of Galatians where those, uh, these are those who are coming into the churches of Galatia. Galatia is an area, several churches, not only uh, one. And they are coming into these churches and teaching that if one is to be a Christian, they must adhere to certain aspects of the law. Like people must be circumcised. They must follow certain dietary regulations if they want to be a Christian. So what was happening is that salvation that these were preaching was found in faith in Jesus Christ plus added works of the law. Romans 3.20 that we read earlier. And here Paul is adamant. No person will be justified. No person will be made right by the works of the law. The law doesn't justify. The law doesn't make one right with God. I've been talking with our boys this this last week about the purpose of the Mosaic law. The law doesn't save. and In fact, the law condemns because we have all fallen short of it. We haven't lived up to its demands. That is, no one is justified by the works of the law. It is because the law is based on the holiness of God, there's no way that we can live up to that. So the law is what the Lord commands. It is his standard of righteousness, if you will. Now, we have to understand that the law, then, what God commands, what God says we ought to do, is distinct. It's separate from the gospel. They're not the same thing. In fact, they, they, must be held in, they must be held very separate from one another, and we must understand that the relationship that, that each has to each other. You see how those in Galatia, or the ones Paul is instructing Timothy about here, are, are mixing law and gospel. They are saying that the, the works of the law 
are actually part of the, the gospel. You must be circumcised. You must believe in, in Christ to be a Christian. That isn't gospel. In fact, Paul says very clearly in the first chapter of Galatians that the person that, that preaches a false gospel in this manner is to be condemned. To, to add to the gospel, to subtract from the gospel, is no gospel at all. So what is the gospel? Well, simply, the, the law is any command in Scripture, any place that says, in essence, do this and live. The law then, or the, the law says, do, and the gospel says, done. The gospel says that one is seen as fulfilling uh, the demands of the law, not by their own law-keeping ability, that is impossible, but by the merit of the one who has kept it on their behalf. When one places their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus' perfect righteousness, his perfect obedience becomes theirs. They are clothed in his righteousness, his perfect obedience. This is what it means to be made right with God. So then we go back to Romans 3.20. No person is justified through the law, but it is through the law that we are aware of our sin. And then you get to verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Because through the law, you see it's through the law that one is aware of their sin. And when one becomes aware of their sin, one recognizes that they will not be justified by works of the law because they cannot be. They need a, a righteousness that's alien from themselves. And here in verse 21, we read that this righteousness has been manifest apart from the law. Though the law and the prophets bore witness to it, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The law and the gospel are not the same. The law, that is God's standard of righteousness, and it points to a, a righteousness that is apart from the law, namely righteousness that comes through the person of Jesus Christ. And it is through faith in Jesus Christ that his righteousness can be ours. It's available for all who believe. That is what is made very clear. So the law has a function, doesn't it? It makes one aware of their own sin, their shortcomings. It makes people aware of their need for a righteousness that does not come from law-keeping, since no person can live up to that kind of standard. Either we find the righteousness somewhere else, apart from the law, or we change the standard, and we water down the law in order to, to keep it. Or we say, if I do the best I can, that's good enough. Of course, that's not what the Bible teaches. But this is why when it comes to evangelism, the, the law is so important. The law isn't the gospel, but the law is extremely important. The New Testament drips with this concept. It is a wonder why so many today uh, deny the, the use of the, the law in evangelism and refuse to, to talk about it in evangelism when the Bible is so clear on this. The Bible says that the law leads us to a knowledge of our need for Christ. How is one to know their need for Christ unless they are shown that they cannot merit salvation on their own? Unless they are shown how they fall short of God's standard? 
and how they can be, therefore, accepted in God's sight. Some today see the evangelism as a pure pragmatic problem and say something like, well, we just need to help people understand that the benefits of being a Christian, the, the community, the, the love that we have for them, the love that we have for one another, when they see this, when they start getting involved and they see what we have, then they'll want to be a Christian too. The problem is, is that is a gospel that is void of, of Christ and his work on the cross. Yes, they might speak of Jesus, but salvation apart from Jesus' death for sin isn't a gospel. Salvation apart from the imputed righteousness of Jesus is really not a gospel. What about for the Christian? We, we've recognized that our failure in being good enough to merit eternal life. We recognize that through the law. We've seen that Jesus Christ is the only remedy, that his perfect righteousness has become ours as we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now that we're a Christian, what is the believer's relationship to the law? Let me start, by, let me start answering that question by talking about what it isn't, what the believer's relationship to the law isn't. Some errors that have uh, come up throughout church history that people have fallen into as they've addressed this question. Uh, let me give you two different heresies. The, the first is a big word. You've probably heard it before. It, it, it's antinomianism. It, it simply means against the law. Or as Mike Horton defines it, he says this, antinomianism, which means the rejection of God's law as a standard of righteous action required of God's covenant people. So simply, an antinomian rejects the use of God's law in Christian living. They would say, there's, there's really no need for it. After all, we're not under the law, we're under grace. These would misunderstand Paul and, and have a motto, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. In other words, uh, we don't need the law. All we need is the Spirit. There was a, an antinomian pastor at my home church for a short time. At the time, I didn't know what it was called, but I, um, and I've talked about this before, but it, it was this form of easy believism. Easy believism. One was saved if they simply believed in Jesus. Repentance was, was optional. In fact, if somebody had ever believed in Christ, even though they now even deny him and, and live like a hellion, it doesn't matter because these people are saved because they once believed. They were sincere at one time. Of course, this is, seems ridiculous a little bit, but when you start to, to hear where they're coming from, it, it does kind of make sense these don't want to mix works with the gospel. They're so afraid of, of adding works to it. They just take the law out altogether. So anything that might be construed as work is taken away. Repentance. So the, the extreme that even the ones that, that fall away, that, that deny Christ, that, that once believed, but now they don't. They, they don't want to say, wait a minute. These people are now living in such disobedience in their life that, that we have to say that they're not saved. They never were. They can't say that because they don't want works to have anything to do with salvation. And for these, the law too is, is not relevant in the life of the Christian. Obedience really doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a good thing. 
It's important, but it's not an obligation. Now, of course, there's a certain element of truth here. Salvation is not by works. It's by uh, the grace of God alone. We, we stress that, that, that salvation is by the, the grace of God alone. We've made this case over and over and over. And the question is, does that make us antinomian? Of course not. And the reason for that is that we're not against law. We see that there is a purpose for the law in the lives of believers. Traditionally, there are three uses of the law. The law is, is first a mirror. We've talked about this already. In that uh, it shows people their, their sin. It shows uh, Romans uh, chapter 3, verse 20, 21 there. It shows us our need for, for Christ. It's a mirror. Gives us a, a perspective on the holiness of God that we can never obtain. We need Christ. It's a mirror. This is what we use in evangelism. It's for, for lost people. The law is also used to, to curb bad behavior. We talked about this in uh, adult Sunday school, Romans 13. The purpose of the law. The purpose of the, of the government to, to curb bad behavior. To put these, these laws that are in place, right? The ones who fear aren't the ones who do good. They're the ones who do bad. They, they need the, the bad behavior needs to be curbed. That's why laws are in the books. God's law is, is no different. Curbs bad behavior. Don't steal. Don't lie. This, this function of the law is for all people alike. Christians, non-Christians. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't murder. But there's a, a third use of the law, and this is the one that, that is it's really in, in question in some people's minds, and that is that for the believer, the law serves as a guide, right? So the first use of the law, the mirror directed toward lost people, curb toward everybody, but then for the believer, for us, it is a, is a guide. This is how the Lord desires us to live. And the primary motivation for the believer to live a holy life, to be obedient, is, is gratitude because of what the Lord has done for them. So there is antinomianism on one side, and then there's nomism on the other side. Now, where the, the first error was against the law, this view has an unhealthy reliance on the law in that it is grossly overemphasized in that one must be obedient to the law in order to find acceptance from God. One must uh, be obedient to earn God's favor in some respect. We hear this in salvation testimonies from time to time, that people were first under the impression that they had to, to get all cleaned up, as it were, before they could come to Christ. Sometimes people really misunderstand Jesus' words when he says that you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That we must pursue righteousness that comes from law-keeping in order to be good enough to come to him. Right? You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Is law. It points us to the gospel. It isn't the gospel. Jesus also says that his disciples must take up their cross and, and follow him. Unless they deny themselves, they're not worthy to be his disciple. Some misunderstand this and, and, make, and make this mean that one must deny themselves, that they must be obedient in some respect in order to come to Christ. That that's a, a prerequisite. 
This couldn't be further from the truth. The fact is, the Christian life does involve self-denial. It involves obedience. Certainly it does. God never promises the Christian life would be easy. In fact, just the opposite. The Christian life is extremely difficult, but over and over in Scripture, Jesus issues the the invitation to, to come and just believe. No prerequisites. Just believe. He says, if you believe, you'll have eternal life, and I will raise you up on the last day. How many times have we seen this invitation just in John chapter 6? Several times. Come, believe, find rest in Christ. Rest in what Christ has done, not what you can do. I've already said, and I'll say it again. After one comes to faith in Christ and they trust in the finished work of Christ for their salvation, the greatest motivation for living an obedient life, for denying oneself, is gratitude. That one experiences because their soul is, is finally at rest. Not in the fact that they can be good enough, but the fact that Jesus was good enough on their behalf. It is that picture in the the Pilgrim's Progress. We've been talking about this in, in Wednesday nights, but it's that picture in the Pilgrim's Progress of, of Christian as he, as he stands there uh, looking at the cross after his, the burden on his back is, is rolled away. It rolls down the hill into a sepulcher, never to be uh, seen again. Christian stands there and he's joyfully weeping at the cross. He's weeping for joy. And it's after this, not long, that he he meets an evangelist on the road. After he has gone through the valley of the shadow of death, after he has fought Apollyon, who is the devil, and he meets evangelists, and he's with his friend Faithful, and he tells him, you will face more trials. More trial is to come. And he foretells the, the martyr of Faithful, Christian's greatest friend, and he exhorted them. He says, as you go on, be faithful unto death. It's about obedience, isn't it? Be obedient to Christ, even if it costs you your life. How could somebody do this? And I think this is the question of the Pilgrim's Progress. Why wouldn't they just turn around and leave? It's all uh, too hard. It's just getting harder. And the fact is, many pilgrims do. They turn around, they walk home. But these new the reality of what Christ has done for them on the cross. And they were willing not only to to live for him, but to die for him as well. For they knew that he would never forsake them. It's a marvelous picture that in the very beginning of, of Christian's journey, so to speak, that he's standing there in awe, joyfully weeping at the cross. He's focused on the cross and what the cross means in his life, and therefore he's willing to be obedient even if it costs him his life. So we can err by, by not thinking much about the law at all. We can also err by thinking too much of it. In, in fact, we're to walk a, a fine line in the middle. And we affirm that the law is good. The law is good for the believer. It, it's a guide. And, and we long to be obedient, not because it earns us merit in the sight of God. That merit in the sight of God has already been won by Christ. We cannot do any more. We cannot add to the finished work of Christ. Christ's words on the cross, it is finished. You cannot add to it. But we eagerly long to be obedient because of the cross, because of what he has done. We constantly look back at the cross. We remember our, our great burden that, that rolled away. 
And this brings us to the Lord's table. This is one of those times in which we stand there like pilgrim in the pilgrim's progress and we look at amazement at the cross. One of the things that I find fascinating about the book is that Christian isn't saved there. He's already saved. He's saved a few pages earlier as he walks through the wicked gate, the narrow gate. But his burden rolls away at the cross. And it's at the cross that he stands there and he reflects on what Christ has done for him. He looks in amazement at the cross. And this is a moment in the life of the church where we uh, take just a special time and we stand there and we reflect on what uh, Christ has done, the, the burden of that sin that went rolling down the hill into that great tomb that has never and never to be seen again. We contemplate all that Christ has forgiven us of. We contemplate the great hope that we have in Christ, the wonderful inheritance that awaits us. We stand amazed and then we leave invigorated and joyful, singing for joy, full of gratitude, ready to follow Christ in joyful obedience. Do you see then how obedience isn't a burden, but a privilege? This is why the the Bible describes the, the Christian faith as being free. The Christian is free. Have you ever wondered, free what? Free to do what? Free to sin, free to rebel, free to take advantage of grace? Absolutely not. To use Paul's words in Romans 6, what are we free? We're free to be obedient. Before, obedience was an obligation. Do this and live. This is your obligation. Now there's no obligation. The obligation has already been met in Christ. So law keeping, being obedient, isn't an obligation any longer. We're free to love obediently because Christ has freed us from being obedient to the law for us. Isn't it something to do something just because you want to, not because you have to? But you need a a motivator. Why would you just want to? Why would you want to be obedient? Why would anybody want to do that? The Bible has commands over commands over commands. This is what God wants you to do over and over and over. Is it too much? This is why the Christian stands and looks at the cross. This is the the gospel. The demand of the law is accomplished in Christ in order that we might live. Not out of obligation. Because we recognize this is, this is how God wants us to live. This is, this, is the, this is the guide that he has given us. And we look at the cross. We look at what we've been forgiven of. We look at the, the emancipation that he has provided in, in our behalf. And we say, I am determined to live the way he wants me to because I want to. We come to the the Lord's table this morning and we reflect. We take time to to remember. We take time to, to go back and say, look at this is what the Lord has done for me. 
every place that I've fallen short, every place that I haven't met the, the obligation of the law, every place that I've heaped and piled up wrath on myself, he met that perfectly in his perfect obedience and then he died for me. He paid the price that I deserve to pay. His righteousness becomes ours, our sin becomes his. It's a beautiful picture. So take some time this morning. Look at your own life. Look at what's going on in your own life. Maybe there's, maybe there's places where you haven't been living obediently. Maybe you, you look at what Christ has done on the cross and you start thinking of the things that, that he's forgiven you of. And those are things that your sins that you're involved in now. Maybe he's forgiven you of the, the thoughts that you have toward another person. The activities that you're involved in. Because Jesus Christ dealt with that once and for all on the cross. Maybe there's things that you're involved in this morning and you need to ask the Lord to forgive you, to turn from that sin, to recognize that Jesus died so that you could turn and live victoriously and be obedient. Thank you for listening to this sermon resource from BethelMBChurch.org. If you'd like to learn more about Bethel Church or find other resources, please visit our website at BethelMBChurch.org. Bethel Church exists to bring glory to God by promoting the joyful worship of Jesus Christ both here and abroad.